Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Angry Millennial. You must be prepared to ignite. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Borrow Lenses. Bring your vision to life with the gear you want when you need it. Don't deplete your resources by investing in gear you may only need once in a while. Instead, grow your business by using high-end gear before you can afford to own it. I know for me, for many years starting out, this is how I got the shots I needed with the glass I couldn't afford at the time. And plus, it's great for trying before you buy. With thousands of rental lenses, cameras, lighting, and all the tools to trade for hobbyists and pros alike. Get to use specialty gear such as underwater cameras or telephoto lenses for that once-in-a-lifetime adventure without a huge investment. You can choose the gear you want, tell them when you want it and for how long, and they'll ship the gear directly to you. You can book far in advance and secure all the gear you'll need. Visit borrowlenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we have commercial portrait and landscape photographer, David J. Crew. David, thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me, sir. <laughs> so I, I got to say, let's see. We got to talk a bit about how we met, right? So we met through, I'd have to say, a previous guest, Jaleel King, right? Uh, Jaleel King, Renee, Robin, yeah. we yeah. pretty much everybody that's been on your show, I think, uh, I have either worked with or done something with at one of these trade shows. Right, to, right, right. Yeah. To, to convalesce into us meeting. I think I actually, the first time I saw you was in New York at the Javits, and I, I think I walked Renee down. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, When she was doing her first podcast with you. But I remember it was probably the first time we were able to sit and get to know each other real well was at the lunch, remember? Mm-hmm. And a lunch in, uh, what was that restaurant? Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> There's way too many trade shows. Not uh, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby Flay's, maybe? No. It might have been Bobby Flay's. Yeah, it was in Vegas. And yeah. I don't I don't remember. That is, <laughs> There's well, too much lack of sleep on yeah, those things. Yeah, I, exactly. Either way. It was uh, it was great getting to you know sit and trade stories and and talk and really get to know each other, uh, you know before we really kicked the whole thing off. You know I think that was like one of the first or second days we were there. Yeah. So you know let's get into it. Tell us a bit about how it all started for you. You know were you always creative? Uh, did photography come first necessarily? <laughs> Uh, I actually grew up a musician. That's how things started with me. Uh, My dad was a musician. My brother was a musician. Uh, So I mean, my first memory was actually banging away on a piano. Um, Like as deep back as I can remember, I had some sort of an instrument in my hands. And uh, the irony is I hated it when I was a kid. It was one of those things that, you know, regardless of how cool it was, it was like, you have to do this. And here's 30 hours of piano lessons and 10 hours of guitar lessons a week and all these things. As a kid, I hated it. But 
as soon as I realized uh, that, you know, girls really enjoyed music, I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe this is, this is cool. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I grew up a musician and I, I, you know, I fell in love with film at a young age as well because, you know, we're all young and teenagers. You get your first job and I worked in a video rental store. Oh, cool. So it's kind of like, you know, the Kevin Smith clerks. I'm sitting there watching movies all day in this video store that three people came in a day. Oh, man. And uh, I just started falling in love with cinema and film and, and – you know, I always loved it, but I grew up in a very small town and I, mm-hmm. you know, I had no idea that it was something that you could actually go to school to do. Right. Um, so I just, you know, did the natural progression, which was got a real job. You know, I went to school and got a quote unquote day job and was just miserable <laughs> <laughs> for years. I was like, you know, this is what grown up being a grown up is. And ah, I don't know. I don't know if I like this. And, yeah. you know, I, I did all these things and uh, getting into photography didn't happen until about five years ago, actually. Mm. Um it was film first. Mm-hmm. I got into uh, video production and editing, and that was through a, a random chance encounter with a guy that uh, lives in Hollywood. And he gave me my first opportunity in working in post-production, and I was working as a post-production coordinator, basically barely touching a computer. It was mostly running legal work. But the first time I got into that side of the business was when that light switch got turned on going, wait, I can do what I love and get paid? Yeah. Like the, it was the big revelation for me. You know, I was 30 years old when this happened. And I'm like, this is, this is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, the industry bottomed out a couple of years ago in terms of the production world. So I went back to working in IT, with, mm-hmm. well, I guess we'll talk about later. And mm-hmm. um, my, my old boss, you know, when I worked uh, for the production company, he gave me a camera. Mm. He had upgraded his kit. Mm-hmm. You know, he went from a you know, Nikon D100 to a D2X and mm-hmm. he gave me his old D100. And I mean, it was crap. It was beat up. The sensor was just ruined and dusty. You know, had a kit lens, and he just said, "When you know, when you go home, figure this thing out." Yeah. And um, you know, I threw it in a closet for a year or two, as as you do when you right. get something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just slowly picked it up and started uh, teaching myself. You know, I, I went to the at the time the usual sources, which was you know digitalphotographyschool dot com. Mm-hmm. That was my teacher. Yeah. Um, because at the time I knew nothing about the industry, mm-hmm. and that was you know the first thing that comes up when you Google how to digital photography. Right. 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 And, uh, yeah, so I just worked with that and I went out and, you know, with my dog to the dog parks and just started taking photos and learning out, you know, learning how my camera worked bit by bit by bit by taking pictures of my dog in the dog nice. park nice. and then coming home, looking at these hundreds of photos that are just changed different because of, you know, I would, I would sit there and I would lock in my settings in manual and I would take the same photo with adjusting the shutter speed mm-hmm. from, you know, one eight thousandths to all the way to, you know, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back to, you know, the perfect exposure and I would adjust the uh, the app or I would the shutter speed or mm-hmm. the app and I was I was going through and I was changing everything to figure out what it would do mm-hmm. into the different modes and I would go home and I look at the images side by side to figure out I'm like oh that's what that means and that's what that means right and then uh, yeah it just kind of started snowballing the addiction and I started nice. traveling where with a camera and now I have I mean I know you can see me because you know, we're on <laughs> right here on the shelf there's about seventeen cameras so nice. No, it's true. I mean, I think for a lot of people, uh, myself included, I was self-taught and it was the same exact way. Like I literally just went, what is it? You know, I'd, I'd grab the, you know, rear wheel, right? Or this, you know, and just fling it one way and go, all right, what happened? All right, swing the other way. Okay, what happened? And and I you know maybe it was like a very kinetic learner or something like that, but I, that's the way I figured it out. And <laughs> it's funny, now I'm teaching at some local colleges that very instance, like people literally picking up a camera what shutter speed, what's aperture, what's ISO. And I, I finally, I have a fun thing where I tell them, okay, who here knows how to drive a manual car? You know, mm-hmm. and the hands go up and I go, okay, it's the exact same thing as a camera. And they go, well, how do you mean? And they go, you got three pedals in a car, right? 
You got the clutch, the brake, and the gas. Mm-hmm. All right. Now you can brake and slow down. You can downshift and slow down. You can do any multitude of things, right? You can push in the clutch, put it in neutral and coast. You can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But you're going to get the same result. And mm-hmm. and I tell them, and then on top of that, you have uh, the clutch and the gas have a very inverse relationship, right? You let off the clutch, you got to get in the gas, vice versa. That's the same thing with like shutter speed and aperture, mm-hmm. you know? And and I was like, if you make one go really low, the other one's got to go a little bit higher, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. And for a lot of people, honestly, even even if they're like, kind of getting it that makes it click and you're like oh it's mm-hmm. like yeah you know and and like you said when you don't know anything and you're just bumbling through the dark by yourself it's it's actually i would say kind of a more fun experience because it's on it's on your terms and your pace and all that i mean yeah. imagine you, you said it yourself you learned very traditional uh way of learning for instruments and you hated it and for some people, that's going to be the same exact way in terms of photography, right? It's like mm-hmm. if you sat there and had someone yelled at you and told you what to do and what everything did, it probably wouldn't register if you were just having fun with your dog in a dog park. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty funny. I mean, I, I found myself, I didn't realize this until late in my life, that I'm a very much a visual learner. You know, mm-hmm. I, could, I, I used to read books and I could remember things from books and I understand the theory of it. Mm-hmm. And then I would sit there with it going, okay, I read how to do this. Wait, what? <laughs> how, how does this work? Yeah. But you, sh- you know, and it would take me hours to figure something out if I had to read it. But you know, the irony is when I got into this, you know, the the camera and the videography and everything later in my life, all it would take is somebody over my shoulder in thirty seconds going, "Hey, this is how you do this," and I go, "Oh, I get it now." Mm-hmm. But I'd have to do it with them like behind me, right? And like doing that that one time this is one of those reasons I you know love helping and working in all these workshops because you know I'm trying to pick new things up and. Mm-hmm. You know, just seeing it and going, oh, and taking one photo, I'm like, oh, it, it just registered so much clearer. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just, you got to get your hands dirty. And yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, and like you said, it's, it's, it's for a lot of, everyone's different, you know, like some people can read the books and then pick it up. Some people just don't even read anything and just suddenly get it, you know what <laughs> I mean? So it's yeah. uh, it's definitely a great mix of how people come into the in the creative arts. But so fast forwarding a bit, um, yeah. you know, now as a professional, you've had a great working relationship with Manfrotto uh, <laughs> as an ambassador. So tell us how that come about. But really, all I want to know is, do you have a tripod named after you or something? <laughs> <laughs> like, Not yet, but that is that is the goal. That is yeah. the ambition. Yeah, uh, is to get right up there, and I got to do it before Dixie. That's just good. <laughs> Um, the, the relationship with Mad Frodo was uh, pretty funny. Um, for years I worked on the board, um, of the American Society of Media Photographers or Media Professionals, however you want to mm-hmm. present it these days. And, uh, I was out here in San Diego on the West coast and we were trying to get the school of excellence to come out to do a workshop with us. And, um, you know, Manfrotto was changing things up with their school and their ambassador program. And I would get in touch with somebody and then that person would move to another division. And then I would get in touch with the new person in charge. And I would, you know, it would start the ball rolling and fall apart, start the ball rolling and fall apart. So one year I was actually at WPPI and I went to the Manfrotto booth and I'm like, okay, who's in charge? Yeah. And I met with, um, one of the senior VPs and I can't remember the gentleman at the time, but he was above that level and I'm chatting away with him and I'm telling the situation and he basically just said, okay, you know what? Like, you know, I've, I've kept hearing about this and things keep trailing off. It's like, I'm tired of this trailing off. He's like, I have an idea for the, to fix all of this. He's like, here, fill this out. And he just hands me some paperwork and I just sign my name on the bottom of it and I dot and initial everything. And I'm like, okay, now what? He's like, now you're an ambassador and now we have to come to you. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> and what? Uh, all okay. right. So that's pretty cool. That's how it works. Getting shit uh, yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, I met this guy. Oh, I shouldn't say I met this guy, but I mean, he went through my work and he'd seen everything and he'd heard everything. And he's like, okay. He's like, your work's decent. Your work's good. Uh, you know, you can teach. You can clearly talk. You can t- clearly, you know, bring a room in. He's like, okay, we're going to make you an ambassador. We're going to make you an instructor for the School of Excellence. And that way, you're in San Diego. Well, then the School of Excellence just came to San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so nice. yeah, I just started working with him in that respect. And the irony at that point, though, is when he made me ambassador, I was moving to Chicago to take over a position with Flern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. I'm like, ah, well, I'll fly back. But, yeah. yeah. That's um, interesting. I mean, and like we know, I mean, how we met. You know, we met through two of the bigger expos throughout the year, uh, and we're able to, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously, have amazing things happen for us. It was launching the show, and then. This year with WPPI was getting new sponsors for the show mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously proving both uh, very fruitful. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just the people, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and now months later, we're still talking to people that we really kind of met and started developing, even if it wasn't the first time, but now we started meeting and saying, hey, come on the show and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's been great, you know? So I love whenever someone comes on and we, we had a a experience at an expo or a trade show and was like, let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I know for me, I've been shooting for 10 years and my first one I went to was last year because I mean, yeah. <clears throat> mostly because I, I knew the benefits, but for me it was mostly the personal thing. Like I, I didn't deal with crowds, but, uh, you know, once I did, then I was like, now this is what my friends have been talking about for years and, and why they go and stuff like that. So it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty great. I was terrified the first time I went to WPPI. Right. And I, I don't remember why I went. It was before I, even, I had even heard of Flurn. I was basically just involved with the ASMP here in San Diego. And I, I think just somebody locally had told me, like, you should go out. And we drove out and, um, you know, just had an expo pass. And I wandered around the floor, you know, like a, like the, that, that bright-eyed farm boy gone to the big city <laughs> for the first time. I'm like, what is this? And I was in heaven. I'm like, this is insane. Look at all these toys. Look at all these gadgets. Oh, my God. I never even knew how big this was. Yeah. And then you start meeting these people and you see these people that you look up to as an artist, you know, in the booths and they want to see your work, too. And then you go, oh, God, I'm terrible. Wait, what? No, don't, don't look at my phone. Um, I have a funny story about that, too. Actually, yeah. my first time I ever went to WPPI, I met Renee Robin, who mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And she was the first person to go through my phone, like to go through my quote unquote portfolio you know, before at this point, I I'd never I didn't even know what a strobe was. Mm-hmm. Like I just started working, just started shooting, and uh, everybody's passing phones around in this big meetup. And she looks at me, she's like, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Not nothing." <laughs> <laughs> and she just grabs my photo, starts going through this. She's like, "Your work's not terrible," and I'm like, "I can do this." Okay, this is- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, because like you said, it's it, it's it sucks, right? That a lot of what we do is we work in a in a vacuum. You know, yeah. and even with social media, it, it's not the fucking same. Like, you know, you, you sit there and say your head's down on a bunch of stuff all the time. And, you know, you might check in on someone's Facebook or say hi to your friends or like a photo or whatever. But it's just not the same, you know. And and when you're able to, like you said, m- go over there and meet people that you whose work you respect and know <laughs> and and hopefully have some sort of quality exchange. I mean, that, even better. And like you said, yeah. It, it, it lends to um, a, a lot of confidence that we all need. I'm sure everyone as artists, we, oh my even, gosh, yeah. even the people who are confident probably aren't confident enough, you know, in what their abilities are. 
So it's, it's that kind of thing that's pretty refreshing. I mean, I know for me, I would meet certain people and, you know, we all know this, don't meet your heroes, they'll always disappoint <laughs> you, but I'll meet certain people and I'll be like, you know, talking to them and they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I love the show. And I'm like, whoa, cool. You know, like I never yeah. thought that would have happened, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so a little bit of, you know, obviously when you go to these things and we, we talked a lot about it with everyone else is you have to have. Uh, if you really want to get things done, you have to have like a certain agenda, you know, like yeah. what is your goal by going, you know, for some people, it literally is just hanging out with their friends and and getting together once a year to be in Vegas and just like have a great time. That's more than fine, you know? Yeah. Um, but I know for me, my first time out, that would have been overwhelming considering how many people I knew that go there every year. Um, <laughs> so I was like, all right, let me just make it about the show and try and get people on and, you know, whatever. And, um, and yeah, I can totally see how two, three years from now, when I'm, when I'm still going every year, uh, it gets me more of that hanging out with friends and just really kind of uh, uh, make stuff happen kind of thing. Yeah, I, I recommend to anybody who is interested in photography or videography, um, it doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on, to go to, you know, WPPI, NAB, or PPE at least once. Mm-hmm. You have to do it at least once. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, it will be a career-changing moment for you. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, you're either going to see it and, and, you know, meet these people, see the industry for what it is and realize, yeah, I need this in my life. And you'll meet the people who can, you know, help you achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Or you realize that maybe you want to go back to just being a weekend warrior and doing it as a hobby. Right. You know, you know, either or, you're, you're going to meet the people that can make and break a career in this industry or just, you know, straight up inspire you mm-hmm. to do more and do better. Yeah. No, um, and, and like you said, it, the, even the first bit for you is all gear. And that's fine, too. Because you get you get the access to all kinds of new stuff that's coming out, or uh, you know, able to if you work the connections enough, you know, be able to suddenly be like a beta tester for certain yeah. companies and stuff like that. And if you're huge in the gear stuff, that's great, you know. So yeah, I blame my background careers. You know, I've turned into such a gadget guy, and uh, it doesn't even matter if I ever own them or not. And half of you know, I, I'm a minimalist. I actually don't really own much other than camera gear, <laughs> but. Um, seeing those toys i just call them toys like i'm a kid in the candy store yeah, when i go to yeah, yeah. shows it doesn't even matter if it's stuff that i've it's been out for years i see it and i'm like oh i want to touch all of these things and play with them and take pictures and, <laughs> ah, it's, just, it's so exciting for me to get around that kind of stuff yeah and nab was no different i was just i just came from nab and that was just absolutely insane yeah because it's like three times the size of you know the photography trade shows because it's got all the television side of things yeah. as well mm-hmm. You see these rigs, you know, you know, we get impressed or we get excited when we see like, you know, a Hasselblad or a phase one that's like six to $10,000 for a camera. And then you see these video cameras that TVs and movies are using that are like a quarter million dollars. And you're like, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe my budget's okay. Right? Yeah. You're like, suddenly <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you happen to be probably the, I don't know, the second or third Canadian we've had on the show, right? It's, it's hard to tell with your overly nice demeanors and your range of dialects and accents. It's all this a boot, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I always went to ask, and, and I yeah. know with Renee, she, granted, she, you know, is from there, grew up there, but she travels everywhere the last bunch of years. Maybe you could tell me, is, is there like a tight-knit creative community among parts of Canada? Um, honestly, if there is, I wasn't aware of it. Um, when I got into photography, again, I was in a smaller community and it really wasn't 
uh, a very open or tight knit community. What there about, wasn't really yeah, many about, learning centers music? and things like that. What about, what about music and stuff like that? Music, there was just massive. There was like the oh my god, I knew so many musicians. I hung out with so many musicians, and when I when I tried to learn photography, I couldn't find a resource for it. Right. Which is part of the reason why I came down here. And the the irony is, is once once I got down here and into the U.S. and and started working in it, that's when I realized there was so much insane talent in Canada. <laughs> So much. I'm like, why couldn't I find these guys? And part of it maybe was I just didn't know where to look. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, you know, my first day at WPPI, the first time I ever went there, I ended up sitting at a dinner table with Renee Robin, um, Joe Robeson, who was one of my favorite people in the planet, let alone artists. Right. Uh, of everybody there, he was the person whose work I was most familiar with. And I had no idea who he was. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at this table with this guy and he hands me his phone full of his portfolio. And I'm like, I know every single photo. <laughs> in this that's thing awesome. for years and i'm like oh wait a minute what that's you ah this is insane yeah and yeah there's a bunch of other canadian you know, artists that i met through that stuff as well and i'm just like this i had no idea you guys existed when i lived in canada like yeah. where were you I'm so upset about this <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah you said it it's it's one of those things that if you're not looking you know if you're not actively looking for it, it is really hard and and you know it's the same thing like even with this i mean i'm I made it a point that I knew and I wanted to take it more serious that I had to go all in, you know, and yeah. then going by going all in, then all of a sudden I see friends that, you know, I'll talk to them. They go, Oh yeah, I, I ran a podcast for like a couple of years, like, you know, five years ago. I was like, what, how did I never know that? And they're like, never came up in conversation. Like, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, it's so cool. Um, you know, but again, like you said, if you're not, actively kind of uh yeah. in that field and, and really trying to immerse yourself in whatever education and, and other stuff that you can get your hands on it it is tough it is tough i discovered after i moved to the u.s and got involved with the asmp that mm -hmm. they do have a canadian chapter or an international chapter um and just by google you know going to the asmp.org you can find chapters in your local countries if you're not an american you can find them in canada and other countries as well but it's you know where everyone else has local chapters you know the international is just for the country mm -hmm. and then i also found there's the professional photographers of canada the ppc oh, okay um but again the irony is i only discovered these great organizations and great facets for learning after i moved to america right right <laughs> And I got involved with the American counterparts of those of those organizations, and that's when I'm like, "Oh wait, this was in Canada." Oh, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> you know, faceball moment going. Like yeah. I should have got involved with this when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's yeah. tough. I mean, and speaking of that, but yeah, I mean, you never know. And and like you said, you just weren't really about that life, <laughs> you know, back then yeah. when you were in Canada. So, um, you know, definitely something to you know that now you're sitting looking back, going, "Oh yeah." That was a, yeah. lot of, a lot of cool resources back then. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, in another previous life, you've had many, <laughs> right? I, mean, it's just, I think yeah, it's great, yeah. right? Uh, you worked as a QA engineer for a long time, which yep. is a fancy way of saying you got paid to break stuff for a living, right? I certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> How did you find that part of your career where it kind of like you're debunking other people's work? I mean, I, I've scratched the surface of it. In my previous jobs, and I have to admit, it's kind of fun, you know, because like if you understand how something works and then maybe you go at it in a different point of view and go, well, what if I know nothing about this and I pretend like I'm my 70-year-old grandmother, does it still work the same way? Can I break it? And that kind of stuff. 
This is hilarious because that is exactly the viewpoint you have to take on it. Mm-hmm. And I got into QA after working in IT for a number of years. I was, I was again, the gadget guy. So I was a, a network architect. I used to build computer networks and computer program or, you know, the hardware side of things. And I would work with software vendors, you know, for these big engineering facilities and things like that. And I would see how they would break. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the guys who run these companies are older and they're farmers or, you know, they don't know computers and they'd sit there and they'd load a program. And if it doesn't load right away, they click their mouse a hundred times. Like, <laughs> Why aren't you opening? Right. And then the whole thing would break. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would just see all these things and I'm like, okay, there's, there's, you know, whatever, this is how things break. This is how people use these applications or the hardware. And um, when I got involved in QA, the very first taste I got was actually for a friend who worked for BlackBerry, worked for RIM. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, we used to hang out on the weekends and stuff. We'd go to concerts and stuff. This is when I lived in Toronto. And every now and again, he would just give me – he would take the SIM card out of my phone and he would throw it into one of the new demo or the beta Blackberries. And he'd say, take this for a week, you know, use it, beat it up, demo it, whatever. Come back next weekend. I'm on your way here. Like throw it out of your car and roll it down a flight of stairs, <laughs> microwave it, throw it in the bathtub. You know, take your SIM card out first, but like do all these things. And then we'll talk about, you know, let me know everything that happened. Cause he used to work, uh, I guess in the RMA department and they mm-hmm. had to document all the things that could go wrong. Right. So that was like my first taste, quote unquote, of, of QA. And I had a ton of fun going like, wait, I can just break these things and play with these toys. This is, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I got in officially into QA. Mm-hmm. After the Hollywood stuff had fallen apart, after I was working in production and I couldn't get work again, you know, I went back to Canada to try to get work in the film industry and nobody would hire me because they just looked at me going, oh, you've worked in Hollywood. You're just going to log your hours and get another visa to leave. And right. while they weren't wrong, I really did just want to work in the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really just wanted to work in the industry and I couldn't find work. And um, so I ended up running into a friend of mine who had just started his own company. Mm-hmm. And he knew I'd worked in IT. He knew I'd kind of done some QA stuff before. And he's like, hey, we just started a company. Would you come work with us? And I went, I need a job. Hell yeah. Right. And uh, he literally just had me like, here's the software we're building. Play with it and mm-hmm. try to find ways to break it. That was literally my job description was try to fuck this up. Yeah, break break stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, the first thing I did was I clicked the application and it was really slow to open. So I sat there and I just started hammering on the mouse like 30 times <laughs> and the whole thing would crash. So I told him like day one, I'm like, yeah, if you do this, you know, you click the mouse like 30 times, it breaks. And he's like, wait, why would you do that? Because everyone like, does it. Yeah. yeah. He's like, no, people don't do that. I'm like, you're an engineer. You build things for a living. You understand how it works. The people who use your applications are people like me and we're idiots. And yeah. we, you know, yeah. if it doesn't open right away, you know, we're using computers that are supposed to be super fast. We want it now. Right. And we're just going to, we called like, it's ended up becoming, it ended up becoming an industry standard, which is called the happy clicking test. Oh, look at that. So anything, anything that's clickable in an application, we'd have to sit there and spam clicking. So like yeah. now there's like a lot of companies have this code, like once it's clicked to disable clicking. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or maybe like I run a piece of code where it's like make click and then repeat a thousand times. Like, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had to do all these things, and then I just started working with them, and I got into it at that point. And, you know, I got trained on how to do, you know, develop test cases and all these fun things. And mm-hmm. I did that um, long enough until I uh, got an opportunity to come back to the America, to come back to the United States within that same field. I was working within IT, but for the entertainment industry. Oh, very cool. So. In a way, it kind of came full circle a little bit, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I ended up working on the Ultraviolet project that uh, was like, uh, if you've ever bought a DVD or a Blu ray, you've probably seen that little purple sticker that's up in the top mm-hmm. going, This is available for digital lockers. So I worked for the company that built that. Oh, very cool. 
Yeah. And uh, I did that for a couple of years until I got my green card and then went full-time photographer. Yeah. I'm in now, become one of the creatives. (laughs) So speaking of that, you know, like you said, you you got the point to then transition to more of the creative side. Yeah. And one of the more notable positions you've held uh, was that of biz dev manager for Flurn. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what was that experience like so early on in the company's life? Because th- I think they started around the same time as Creative Live, right? Like 09, 010, I could be wrong. No, Flirn's only about uh, four or five years old. I think they just had their fifth birthday. Okay, so okay, uh, so, yeah, I remember it was like 2010, 2011, and then you were yeah. in 2012, right? Yeah, so uh, the unofficial thing was I was working with Flirn, but not "Quote unquote working yeah. for Flirt, right. uh, because I was on a work visa here. So I basically just did uh, what the guys at the team would love to call me, which was the Flirn champion. Because uh, <laughs> I, I I was working with the ASMP, and again, I did everything volunteer. I was working with the ASMP, the APA, the PPA, and I was helping find educators and do workshops and stuff. And um, I w- at this point again, I had just started. It's like 2011. Mm-hmm. I just started, you know, digging into Photoshop. I'd never used Photoshop before. It was just, you know, Lightroom. Where I was on a PC at that point, so it was ACDC for your PC users, if you can remember that program. Um, <laughs> I think that's still going too, which yeah. is the hilarious. But anyway, uh, I I ended up was trying to figure out how to composite because I was working with this image and the hair was a crazy, and I'm trying to cut it out. And, uh, you know, I subscribed to Linda. I subscribed to Kelby, and I was trying to find these tutorials about compositing and cutting out hair. And I was pulling my own hair out, right? getting so frustrated with the hundreds of dollars I was spending and not getting it. Yeah. And then one of my friends, actually a guy, you know, Oliver Aces, mm-hmm. yeah, um, he just said to me, he's like, dude, I just came across this YouTube channel, like, you know, Aaron Nace Photoshop tutorials live. And he had this video in 10 minutes, he covers three different ways to cut out hair. And I'm like, get out. And I go to this YouTube video, it was for free. And I was like, 50, it was like 10 or 15 minutes. And he... Just really quickly just shows yeah. you know, cut, cut, cut. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, where were you a month ago when I was going crazy? <laughs> so I just dug into where he was in his contact info. And I, I got his email. And I just emailed him. I'm going like, look, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in San Diego. I work with this group. I can't believe how quick and easy you made this to, you know, to learn. Have you ever done a workshop? Would you come out to do a workshop? And he's like, I've, I've never done one. Let's make this happen. Right. At first, I was shocked that he even emailed me back. Right, yeah. and not alone, let alone email me back, but email me back like within an hour. Oh wow! Um, and then I just started working on it. I just started calling people, and I started calling you know companies like LowPro and Adobe and Wacom, and I'm like, hey, I got this Photoshop guy coming out. You know, would you want to sponsor the workshop? And they're like, hell yeah, let's do this. And then Aaron called me back, and he's like, what the hell are you doing out there? <laughs> And I'm like, oh crap, did I call Lowpro and you're sponsored by Think Tank? And he's like, I don't have sponsors. Do you want a job? Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Literally how it all started. And I'm like, well, I'd love to, but I can't because I'm on a work visa. Right. Um, so I just started helping them out. That's awesome. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like uh, if, you, if you ever heard Kenneth Klosterman's story with Creative Live. I mean, same exact thing. She was literally a volunteer for like the first year she was there. And if she had been an employee, she said, I think she'd be like number three or maybe maybe at least like in the top 10 for sure yeah of the original people and um i think it was like eight and i was like that's still pretty fucking pretty pretty cool you know yeah yeah. um and and yeah she said it same thing where it was like one of those things that she found it real early on and it it was gritty but she was into it she had the same vision she saw what chase and, and the other people saw and suddenly you know she's uh with them the entire 
like, you know, span of what they've been around to today, you know? Yeah. So it, it's really cool. I mean, so like you said, what's great is you, I mean, so you came on like really early. So when that was, when <laughs> learned, I mean, if, it was right, right when, when Aaron and Chris had basically, they were right in the, the beginning, like transition phase of beginning that company and, right. and launching everything as Flurn. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, cause I, I remember when I remember Aaron years ago, and coming across his stuff where it was like he was shooting everything in his kitchen, yep. you know, and he had, yep. I think, uh, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but he had the uh, ex-girlfriend Rosie, Rosie Hardy, I think it was, <laughs> the English yeah. chick. Yeah. And, and they would obviously always be, you know, shooting each other and doing stuff. So I remember watching all that and, uh, and then seeing, you know, again, like where it's at now, it's, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, listen, it's no secret. We're all huge nerds. Right. But more so you because of a series. It's it's because of the Comic-Con thing, right? Yeah, that that too. But no, even more than that, you you did a series of film noir, right? And it Mm -hmm. supposedly inspired an episode of Warehouse 13 on the Sci-Fi channel? Yeah. So please please explain to the fellow nerds listening how the hell that happened. Uh, Because of San Diego Comic-Con. That's how it happened. Um, Yeah. The short version is I was back in Canada shooting mm-hmm. my friend's wedding and I was rushing to make my connection flight back to San Diego and I'm a mess that, you know, my camera gear is everywhere and I sit down in my, you know, in, in the waiting area to board my plane and I look up and there's the cast of Warehouse 13 across from me. Or Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was Warehouse 13. They were literally sitting across from me and they started asking me questions about the camera and I'm like, the, you know, at the time I didn't recognize who they were. I'm like, these right. are beautiful people. Who are these guys? <laughs> And uh, and I'm, I'm chatting away with them, and it finally dawns into who I'm talking to. With you know, was Eddie McClintock and Jewel State, and you know, she was with uh, from Serenity and uh, Atlantis and all those shows. And then behind me is like the cast of like Being Human, and across from me is Eureka. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I was like the only quote unquote civilian on this whole flight. Right. And I, and these are all shows that were being filmed in the Toronto area, and they were flying down to San Diego for San Diego Comic Con. And I'm like, what's San Diego Comic Con? This is my first year <laughs> in America. Right. And they're all like, you're not going? I'm like, I have, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot Canadian. I just moved here. I didn't even know this was a thing. And they're like, no, you're coming. And the guys from the show actually got me a pass. Oh, that's too awesome. That's to go, so to go. So I'm literally, I get back to San Diego. I, you know, I get to the house. We, we got in early in the morning. I, you know, I get in, I drop off all my stuff and, um, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to head straight on down. And I walk down, I, you know, take a cab down because parking is atrocious when you're trying to go to these cons. Yeah, of course. And, um, I'm walking into the show and I just start talking to the people next to me. Mm-hmm. As it turned out, it was a husband and wife couple. The the wife, you know, wrote for um, well, they both worked at the Sci-Fi Network at the time. So they she was a costume designer and he was a writer. Mm-hmm. We exchange business cards, we follow each other on Twitter, and that was it. You know, quick conversation back and forth. Right. And I go through and I do the Comic Con and I have a blast. And then, you know, months later, um, I get an opportunity to shoot this film noir project. Mm-hmm. I love film noir. I felt like, you know, the twenties should have been where I was born, except I want all the today's technology, you know, go, whatever. <laughs> um, so I do this film noir project it was a charity event for the APA. And, um, we started shooting at about like 9 PM on a Friday night. We finished shooting at four in the morning on Saturday. And then I delivered the images by noon Saturday morning. Oh wow! And, uh, it was all again for a fundraiser for charity. And, it was national as well, and I think I submitted five images, and four got in, and all four ended up winning. Oh wow! Uh, this competition, and um, and then you know the particular images, you know, a couple of them won international awards and everything at that point. And I don't think anything of it. I'm like, this is really cool, and I love doing charity work, and I love doing that kind of work in the mm-hmm. film noir stuff. And um, 
So the prints go on sale and all the money goes to charity and I advertise it through my Twitter and things. And then I didn't know this, but you know, the husband and wife that I met from sci-fi, she's following my Twitter feed. The, the wife is, and um, she saw the images and she's like, these are really cool and it's for charity. And I like this charity. So she bought the prints. I didn't know because it all went through the APA. I had nothing. With it. Right. And uh, I guess when she, the images finally showed up, her husband was writing an episode. Warehouse 13 had been announced. It was being canceled. Mm-hmm. And the executives were giving all the people on the show a chance to post their resume. Like all the writers were getting, you know, it normally was a team of people. And they're like, okay, this is your episode. This is your episode. And uh, he he was trying to come up with an idea mm-hmm. for what to do on his episode. And these pictures show up and she you know, opens them up like, look what David just, you know, look at these images from David. And he's like, I'm going to do film noir. <laughs> <laughs> That's so the whole awesome. episode was about a, about a book, you know, other than actually kind of replicating a couple of scenes. Right. Uh, you know, they pretty much, you know, completely, you know, replicated the the images almost in, in this episode. Oh, wow. The story was about uh, a, a murder mystery novel that would pull you into it if you opened it and you'd have to complete the story without dying. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And I was like, this is really cool. So like they, they called me and like, Hey, are you free on this day? And I'm like, yeah, why? And like, Oh, JP's episodes coming on. You should come up for the premiere. I'm like, awesome. I'll be there. And I show up and like, they're like, yeah, the man who inspired the episode is in the back of the room. I'm like, Oh cool. And I turn around. And I'm like, wait, I'm in the back of the room. <laughs> why is everyone looking at me and clapping? You're like, right. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so you really had no, no idea at that point? Had absolutely no. I didn't even know she had bought the prints. Oh, that's right. Because it all point. went through the APA. Right. 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 Yeah. I had no oh, idea. Man, that's crazy. I, I tell everyone, like, it's so funny. <clears throat> you said uh, you and we were traveling. I'm the same way. I don't care who you are. I'll talk anytime on a plane, unless you're a complete dick, and I try yep. and you shut it down, I'll talk to anyone because you never, ever know. And uh, funny enough, right, we were sitting at the, at the uh, when we were coming back from L.A. Was it mm-hmm. L.A.? You were just in LA like a month ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was LA. So so me and Jess are coming back from LA and we're at <clears throat> LAX and we're eating. And there's this guy sitting next to me. And, and literally I just like sat down next to him, cleaning off the table, and he made some passing comment. And I and I said something again. And that was really it. And then it wasn't until maybe like 20 minutes into our meal, me and Jess are, are sitting there eating salads and, and the guy said something. And we start talking. Next thing you know, he uh he says where are you guys from? We say, oh, from Baltimore. He goes, get out. My son lives in Baltimore. And I said, oh, wow. Like he, and I'm asking him, I go, so, you know, son, what do you, what do, you do? Da, da, da. And then literally he comes up with, uh, well, I used to be one of the lead designers and engineers at Microsoft. And I said, oh, okay. So what would you do? He goes, well, I worked on the very first Xbox. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started launching this story and he talks about how like when the thing went live, when it launched all this stuff, instead of a bonus, everyone got assigned a Bill Gates signed Xbox. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do with this. <laughs> Cause it was, <laughs> you know, back in what, 2001, right? 2002, whatever. Yep. And, uh, and he's like, well, okay, that's cool. So he's wait, tell me this whole story. And I'm like, dude, I have this show. You gotta be on like, that's you know, amazing. We're talking. I go imagine talking to the guy who built, like, you know, helped build like the first Xbox, and now he's semi-retired, and he's part of this board for like a, a company in Japan who's who's building some cool stuff. And and I'm sitting here going like, to think this is a dude who's eating a freaking sandwich next to me. You know, what I mean, at, at an airport. And I, that's that's me, man. I'll always have business cards yeah. on me. I'll always talk to anybody because you never know. 
Yeah. yeah. Did I tell you about how I met the DOP for uh, Discovery Channel on a flight? No, no. <laughs> Uh, I was coming back from a personal trip to Alaska, literally after I had just quit Flern, mm-hmm. and I was taking my first of many plane flights uh, since that day. And uh, it was a red-eye flight. I'm exhausted, and I'm sitting in the window seat, so I'm like, yay, legroom. And I look, there's a gigantic Marine, like massive Arnold Schwarzenegger-sized Marine on one side, and then what looked to be like a homeless guy on the other side of me. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting flight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Marine is super chatty and super nice. And I'm, you know, I'm not a small guy. And this guy right. dwarfed me. Yeah. So I'm kind of crunched into my seat. And he's chatting away. And we're chatting. And I mentioned that I was up there doing time lapse. And all of a sudden, the homeless looking guy chimes up. He's like, <laughs> homeless looking guy. <laughs> he's like, did you say time lapse? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, you know, what kind of rig do you have? And I'm like, oh, I use an Emotomo and a Rhino slider and this and that. He's like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> and I'm like, mother motherfucker that, that's you know yeah. it's what in my head i'm yeah, like yeah. that's like you know a several thousand dollar robot and you know thousand dollars of sliders i'm like i'm a poor you know guy this is a lot of money yeah i'm like really cute huh and like what do you use like oh here let me show you and he pulls up his videos and you know he's got the quarter million dollar cine sliders and cinema rigs oh, wow. i'm like wait what who are you and he's like yeah. oh, i work discovery channel i just got back from filming deadliest catch <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, we, we filmed that. And then we went up to the middle of Denali and we were living there for a month in a cave filming like the Alaskan Outback and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, here's my card. Well, <laughs> 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 now, you know, like and we ended up, it was a red eye flight. We both wanted to sleep and we ended up staying up the entire flight talking photography, talking videography and business strategy and making plans. And we ended up hanging out a oh, couple of wow. times after that. Nice. He and I are friends now. His name's Luke McKinney and, um, whenever we cross paths, we try, you know, which is very rare because he's always in the middle of nowhere. Right. But, you know, it, it was very interesting. And again, hearing his story, like the guy doesn't even own a home anymore. He basically wow. lives out of hotels and tents Yeah, because that's the life he loves. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so funny. So, yeah, like we know, there's a tip to get away from that. It's uh, it is never, never not talk to someone on a plane <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or at an airport for that matter. Yeah, um, always have cards ready and always say hi. You never know. Yeah. So you mentioned it. You said it. You said it a little bit where you're like the way that guy lives, right? So currently yeah. you're juggling well, yeah. a major move. Yeah. Right. To a new location. Come yeah. On, let's let's hash it out right now in the show. Oh dear God. Uh. All right. So when I first moved to the U.S., I came to San Diego and I was here for three years, and then I went to Vegas for a couple months where my family is while I was waiting for my green card. Uh, and then I got my green card and I went to Chicago. I was in Chicago for two years and, um, I decided, you know, I wanted to, first off, I hate winter. (laughs) It was, I, I kind of came, you know, I'm from Canada. Yeah, I know the snow. I grew up with it. Yeah, that's right. But then I, when I moved to, you know, California, I'm like, yeah, I'm never dealing with snow again unless I want it. Yeah. Uh, so I went back to Chicago for, for Flurn and for the work. And, you know, while I love what I did, really, really, truly came to the realization I low with winter. So I came back to California and, um, I'm out here right now. And I, the irony is I've spent more time not here since I've moved back mm-hmm. than I have. I've been on a plane every other week. Uh, I literally just got back from Vegas like three days ago. And in a week and a half time, I fly back to Chicago for another gig. And, um, then after that, I'm going to Houston. So I, I'm, I'm here and I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I'm doing with my career at this point, because mm-hmm. it was really just since June that I've, I've gone full freelance. Right. And, and I've just been on the road nonstop doing trade shows and workshops and teaching. And I haven't really been, um, I haven't really doing, been doing a lot of commercial work and I'm trying to figure out where home base is going to be. And I love San Diego. You know, my, my heart is here and all the people here are so great, but I'm coming to realize that a lot of the work that I want to be doing 
is not here. Right. There's lots of work to have here in San Diego, but the work that I want is in is in L.A. and it's in New York. Right. And, and the part that sucks is it's so expensive to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I'm debating whether or not I want to stay here in San Diego, figure something out and go to L.A. Mm-hmm. or go back to Vegas where I have family, where I can have an even cheaper place to stay. And I have you know I have work lined up in all these places. It's just where do I want to call home base because I'm going to be on the road 90 percent of the time anyway. And that's uh, right. And he said that, that's that's also to me that's actually a really interesting way of of kind of uh, honing in on it is saying, you know, okay, I can I travel so much. Where's just where's a nice cheap place I want to live? You know what I mean? So you can really stretch when you're a freelancer, the income you're making a lot further. And yeah. you know, for me, it was like when I had my last job, uh, I contemplated Florida or Texas. Yeah, because I was like warm weather. Good riding, uh, cheap as shit to live in, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then if I want to travel, I'll just travel because I'm saving all that money, you know, yeah. being in, in those areas. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, and I'm not going to force you to make a decision now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, to, to me, they're both nice prospects, you know, and, and yeah. you know enough people uh, in in the industry that you probably could could have and like family aside you could probably have uh, a good a good base kind of network already put in place by the time you go anywhere yeah yeah i know people in all those cities but again you know, maybe it's the canadian in me i'm used to helping other people i don't like asking mm-hmm. <laughs> right. so for me you know it's it's i haven't really reached out to anybody this is the you know you and i and now mm-hmm. i guess everybody listening is yeah. the first time i've really talked about this uh, but the irony is I have to make this decision in about two weeks. <laughs> Shit. Because yeah. I'm just subletting uh, here in San Diego this place, and I have a great place downtown. But mm-hmm. uh, the lease is up um, the end of May. Mm-hmm. And the irony is the last two weeks of May, I'm gone. Oh, shit. So I need to be moved basically by May 10th. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have about two weeks uh, to figure out where it is I'm going or just to throw my stuff into storage and to crash on a friend's couch for a bit. Right. Um, which is probably what's going to end up happening. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the irony is like I'm gone. Yeah, I go to Chicago for a week to shoot uh, an event out there. And then I'm going to Houston to do a workshop with Nino Batista. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm there for about a week. because I'm, I'm probably going to stay for two weeks because, you know, Pratik Nyack lives just down around the corner from mm-hmm. those guys. And I'm just going to hang out with those guys for a while and probably nice. book gigs while I'm there. Nice. And then I'm immediately coming back to L.A. to do a workshop. Oh, wait, is that in July? I don't even know. I got to look at my calendar. Mm-hmm. But I know like the first week or two of June, I'm also on the road. Mm-hmm. And then July, uh, I've got a, an event up in L.A., and then I'm doing a workshop with Peter Colson. Oh, cool. He's coming up to L.A. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm again, like, for about a month straight, I'm going to be living out of couches and hotels again anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that all, that all basically starts on May 11th is when I start the road, the road Jeez. craziness again. And, all right. Dude, yeah. So I can't wait to see all that, and we'll definitely have to keep more <laughs> in touch because uh, I don't think – I don't think we've really even spoke since WPI since we got back and and all the craziness. Yeah, I, so. I well, the, me being home right now is the longest I've been home since WPI. Oh wow! I've only been back for like four days, so that, that'll yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, all I got right. back Friday. So, so David, we're gonna get into 
some of the more deeper questions. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So ready? So we have about 10 minutes. So we're going right. to try and keep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll do about a minute of uh, some of the answers. All right. So we've got the speed, All right. the speed round. All right. What I'm ready would, for the lightning round. <laughs> what's the biggest risk you've taken in your artistic career? Um, this jump going freelance. Yeah. Uh, I've always been that guy that's been, you know, it was really beating in my head from a young age. Like, you know, well, you can learn all these things creatively, guitar, film, photography, take the safe bet and get a day job. Right. And um, while a lot of people will do that, and maybe that works for a lot of people, for me, it just drove me crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so doing this freelance life, it's scary. It's It's terrifying. It's stressful. You know, every month, you know, there's a month where you're making, you're rolling in money and the next month you're going crap, where's my next job coming? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, this alone is the biggest and craziest and scariest you know, thing I've ever done is just going the full freelance and ignoring the day jobs yeah. and saying, no, yeah. I've been getting calls yeah. going, hey, you know, and even within our industry, I've been offered work, um, you know, for various photo and film companies. I wouldn't be shooting. And I, that's why I said, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is tough. You know, like you said it where, how can you realistically take something, even even within the industry? I mean, I've you know, I, I honestly have the same struggle where I sit there and say, like, I have to work for X and X company. It seems great, but that role mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the most creative role within that company. So I'll probably end up hating it. Yeah. You know? And and I try and keep an open mind, but at the same time, I think when you get older, uh, you just become more self aware. You know, yep. and you just say, "Listen, I'm not going to waste either of our times." Yep. And and potentially possibly ruin a great relationship uh, because you just thought maybe you were, you know, yeah. So I know we're kindred, kindred spirits, we're my jealous. friend, right down to the same chair, just <laughs> different colors. I just noticed. That. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, sweet. There you go. Yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that that's that's one of the things I've done is just my what I'm doing currently. I, I figured you know I'm going to give myself a couple years of just the risk of mm-hmm. making doing whatever I can to make this work, right. Because this is the this is the life I love. You know, when I'm on set, just creating something crazy with 14 PAs and three models and whatever. That's that's the life I love, man. I'm I'm sweating bullets and I look like a hot mess, but I absolutely love every second of it. It's like Christmas morning for me when I'm on a, in, a, in a situation like that. That's great. Yeah. Now, name your biggest fear creatively. <sighs> My biggest fear creatively is landing an amazing dream client and having an idea for a shoot and then them telling me that it's all crap. <laughs> Mm, yeah, I, um, I don't know. I mean, my biggest, my biggest fear creatively is the biggest career or biggest fear professionally, which is just having it not work. Yeah, I'm not afraid to fail. I've done that my entire life. <laughs> right, right. I've learned and I've changed and I've rolled. But um, you know, just today's day and age, it's you know you got to be on it all the time, mm-hmm. and otherwise, you know, they're on to the next. They're on to the next vendor. Yeah. Um, so the biggest fear creatively is just, you know, we're, we're that ADD society is that my, whoever I end up landing, you know, these clients that I really, or you know, that I really want are just going to decide that they didn't really like that one image and therefore they're going to go with somebody else as opposed to just having me redo something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, sure. That's definitely, if, when you're in the high end stuff, that's definitely shit that happens, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I've, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's been terrifying. I mean, I've missed out of work. I've missed out on a great opportunity actually simply because I was on a plane. No shit. <laughs> wow. That's fucked up. Yeah. I, 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 had, I was on a plane. I wasn't yeah. even allowed to turn my phone on. You can't yeah. fault me. I literally missed out on an opportunity for a great shoot. And I'm, I'm not going to say any names or anything because I've ended up, you know, coming back and working with them again since. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, it was like my dream opportunity to do this thing. You know, I love Hollywood. I love creating cinema stuff and working in film. You know, my, my idols are Seliger, Stribler, Leavitz, you know, um, working within that industry, shooting EW, um, you know, People Magazine kind of covers. That's the stuff I love, Vanity Fair. And, uh, you know, doing promotional work for Hollywood. So I had an opportunity to do that. I was on a plane. I didn't even know. Oh, man. <laughs> and it was one of those, hey, this is happening. You need to be here in an hour. Can you do it? Yeah. And I would have. <laughs> yeah. And then you get off the plane. You look at your phone. You're like, fuck. <laughs> it literally was one of those moments. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. 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 All uh, right. So speaking of that, name yeah. the most meaningful moment in your career thus far. Uh, gosh. Um, you know what? The one that really, the, the one moment that really made me want to pursue this as a full-time career mm-hmm. was the first time I had done boudoir, ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never done boudoir. I never wanted to do boudoir. And I got talked into it because of, uh, one of my friends and it was her sister who had had a baby and was kind of insecure about her body and wanted to do something, you know, as a, Hey, I'm back for her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was terrified, you know, I just didn't want to do that kind of work. Right. And she talked me into doing it and I did this photo shoot and, you know, and whatever. And the pictures came out great. The, 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 the mom cried uh, because she was just so happy with everything. And it was supposed to be a Christmas gift. And she ended up giving the images to her husband months early. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. And I was still in Canada at the time. So I was still just doing it as a, you know, weekend warrior thing. And I was shooting a, a charity event in Canada. Mm-hmm. And she's there and she's like, oh, David, my husband's here. I'd love for you to meet him. I'm like, awesome. Can't wait. And I meet this guy and he's gigantic. <laughs> Hockey player, most yeah. intimidating human being I've ever met in my entire life. And she's like, hey, this is David the photographer. I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. He's like, you're the photographer? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're the man responsible for the photos of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so I took off my glasses. Yeah, yeah. You're like, it's coming. it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> Dude hugged me and just started crying. Holy shit. It's like, you saved our marriage. Wow. They were young and they didn't know, you know, they were new right. parents. It was unplanned. It was like that, what are we doing? Right. And and the photos just kind of rekindled things and they're like, you know, I bought her all additional, all these clothes, like whatever she paid you for the shoot, I'm going to double it. And it just kind of, you know, that reaction, you know, when when your image can have that connection or, or that effect on somebody. Yeah. Um, that's what really sparked it for me. That was like the most meaningful moment. That's what, that's what said, okay, this is, I need to, I need to push this. I need to keep right. doing this. Right. That's, you know, no matter what the cost, you know, I left an industry there where I was making ridiculous money for next to no work mm-hmm. to a career where I'm working every hour I'm awake for next to no money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you said it, I mean, it, it, depending on, on what your view, you know, a lot of times it's, again, it's the self-awareness saying, mm-hmm. Hey, money may still go around. We're not dumb, but at the same time, if you're not in love with it anymore, it doesn't matter what you're getting paid. You're going to want to do something that's more fulfilling, yeah. you know? So what would you say is the biggest regret in your career? Not picking up a camera sooner. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny. That's, that's a lot of people lately we talk to who like, you know, the, the cowards and I'm trying to think who else, uh, Joe Busink and all them. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. their thirties, forties, Nino, same thing in the music, got into photography, wish he did it sooner. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty understandable because you can only yeah. sit there and ponder what if, you know? Yeah. At this point, like, you know, I consider myself just a beginner, realistically. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been doing it for five years, but I've been doing it for other people and just right. for, for me and for charity. And now I'm doing it for me as a career. Right. And, you know, I'm not 
I'm not old, but I'm not young. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there with people who are in the exact same point of their career with me, but they're like 20 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've got a lot to catch up on. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, for sure. Uh, so that, yeah, that's, that's the, that's literally the only regret I have. I mean, I love what I do. I just kind of wish I had started sooner. I wish right. I knew I could have done this as a career sooner. Right. Yeah. So time for the deepest of deep. Yeah. If you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still yeah. shoot? I don't even, couldn't, yeah. couldn't even get no. out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, one of the reasons I really got into photography, and this is a sob story, mm-hmm. is um, my best friend died mm-hmm. when I was a kid in high school. And we had no photos other than our high school yearbook photos mm-hmm. of them. None. Because yeah. nobody really had a camera. We were yeah, in a small yeah. town and, you know, it was expensive. Yeah. And uh, that – for me was why, you know, I, I bought a camera. I had no idea what I was doing. It was a little 35 mil point and shoot film camera from, you know, a CVS. Mm-hmm. And, um, instead of me as a kid buying a car, I bought a camera and, you know, thousands of dollars worth of film. I just started shooting all my friends and I still have those boxes. Oh, wow. Like, Jesus, I don't even know. I don't even know how to explain how many boxes just full of really terrible snapshots from yeah. like out parties in the middle of the woods and yeah. overblown, just <laughs> terrible, terrible photos. I'd, I would just, I was one of those guys. I just want to document everything. Yeah. Yeah. for sure. And that's why behind me, there's so many cameras and it's not because you know, I, I had all these cameras before I was making money doing it. I just, I have a love of shooting and recording and capturing moments and regardless of nobody ever sees it again, it's, it's really not for them. It's for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and and it's funny, like uh, I think the the really cool thing about that is, you your last two right were kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. You really loved the most beautiful part was what someone else, how it affected someone else yeah. with your work. Yet at the same time, you you know why we get into it and and why how we start out is because it's just us. It's just for us. Mm-hmm. The other people eventually come into the equation, but mm-hmm. for a long time, it's it's just a solitary thing we do. Yeah. And, and, you know, you sit there and say, okay, all that stuff went away. Would it suck? Yes. Would I not enjoy it as much? Sure. Would I still do it? Fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I'm just going back to square one. I'm just resetting. And that's fine. You know, forever though. <laughs> yeah. Every, every month though, I mean, like I do this traveling, I do these trade shows, I work with people so much. Mm-hmm. As soon as I have some downtime, I by myself, throw all my gear and my camping stuff into the truck and I drive out somewhere by myself. That's cool. And I'll just sit out and decompress. It's like my decompression time. I go to the woods, I go to the desert, go to a campground, and I set up my cameras and I'll do time lapse of the stars and the sunrises and the sunsets. It's just that that's for me. Yeah. 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 That's you know, the great. landscapes and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's the, you know, the, the irony is the first stuff that I really ever sold was the stuff that I did for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause those are my landscapes and the time lapses. And like, re- actually, no, that's, that's true. My very first commercial client sale was, work I did when I just went away from me for my own downtime with nobody else around. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And I just had it up on my website and I got a phone call going, this is a great image. Uh, we need it. How much? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's amazing. And what's funny is a lot of people, uh, you know, I, uh, everyone talks about like, um, you know, personal projects, right. And personal work. And it's so true. It's fucking necessary, man. I don't care what level you're at. I don't care how much success you have that you're, you're flying everywhere and you don't have, you say you don't have time for it. You have to make fucking time because if you don't, again, no amount of money will change the fact that suddenly you're going to get burnt out yep. and, and, and you're going to sit there and go, how did I make something so much fun become such a big stress in my life? And and make it so that you wanted to just not do it anymore. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And it was funny. We were talking to Peter Hurley um, last year and I asked him that question and he kind of laughed and then he kind of went, man, like I, I can't tell you the last time I shot something for myself. And I was like, doesn't that kind of fuck with you a little bit? And he's like, yeah, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like I sit there and say, I don't have time, but, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe I should. And I told him, like, maybe make that like a goal for like this year, you know, um, or in the next month, if possible, you know, to to definitely try and do it. Because, yeah, I, I you can imagine um, that that's something that will definitely help, you know. Yeah. So, listen, David, thank you for taking the time out today. Had an awesome time. Can't wait to see where you end up over the next few months. <laughs> and we'll Me too. Me yeah, too. And we'll, 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 yeah, we'll definitely. Um, Magic eight ball says, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely, uh, you know, touch base and, and see what's going on. So, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Um, I'm pretty consistent. Everything for me is just davidjcrew.com. So, at davidjcrew for Twitter and Instagram, davidjcrew.com for my websites, and everything else is through there. Uh, and David J. Crew Photography on Facebook. And the the big trick though is crew is two e's, C R E W E. Yeah, it makes Everybody it sound a lot more Canadian. Yeah, yeah, it's the old Scottish <laughs> spelling. So, oh, yeah. okay, cool, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I tell everyone who has managed who has managed to be lucky enough to get their name on everything, fuck you. And uh, <laughs> I wish that were the case for me. I mean, it just uh, it just irks me because you know my name is is pretty common. So didn't didn't get that. But obviously, I'm not bitter anymore. <laughs> but listen, uh, last but not least. <laughs> Who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Oh, God. Um, two of my idols. I'm going to name two. is Seliger and Stribler. Uh, Mark Seliger or Stribler. Uh, or maybe, I'm, maybe I'm butchering the name. Forgive me. I'm tired. I need another coffee. Um, I met Art at uh, PPE a couple years ago when he moderated the ASMP State of the Industry panel. Art Stribler, yep. Yeah, and his work just blew me away. I mean, I was already a fan of his work, but then getting to see the behind the scenes and his take on the industry and how and why he does the things that he does, and it just was a very huge eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always wanted to work in the Hollywood side of things, and that just made me want to do it even more. Right. Um, so, you know, hearing him and hearing his insights, again, even on a deeper level, uh, you know, the 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 sensors taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Okay. That, that'd be one of the, that would be one of the huge goals. Nice. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, I was I was thankful enough to to meet Seliger um and see him speak at some of the standout events uh <laughs> put on over the years uh, by phase one and and he's great. You know, I mean, how could you not I mean love that guy's work and, and, and what he does? And I think to me what I think has is the I respect him the most for is he's done it all. Like he's you know, he's uh he's done the you know paid kind of full-time gigs for for different you know companies and stuff like that where he's still shooting mind you everything's shooting yeah. and then he's on the full freelancing and then he's on everything else and and it, to me it's like that's what you have to do if you want to make a literal lifetime career in photography you know yeah because mm-hmm. everyone says oh well you know why don't you just do your own thing forever it's like it's not sustainable i'm sorry no. like and even if it is you're gonna want change you're gonna want to see okay well let's see what you know, this might bring me and you just say, fuck it. Cause you can, you know, like, yep. whereas other people, um, you know, who, who maybe are, are always relying on someone else, 
might not have that luxury, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's great, you know, and, and he seems, uh, we spoke, you know, pretty, pretty, I'm pretty, pretty in depth, but he seems like he's also like me or those people kind of, he takes the, the big picture, right? The long haul look of it. And I say, Hey, look, if, you know, if this is different and it seems like a good idea, uh, what's what, let's give it a year or two, you know, let's see what happens. Cause in the grand scheme of things, what's a year, you know, a year is nothing. You know, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then, and then, you know, seeing what he was able to do. Um, so yeah, with that said, uh, again, thank you, David, for taking the time out. Uh, have a great time as always kind of hanging out and, uh, can't see what you guys, what you do next. And the same goes for you, my friend. The pleasure was entirely all mine. And in fact, I'm very jealous of your hat. That's you a like model that. you need. Yeah, you I like do. Is, now, did you make that? Is that yours? No, I is wish. That, no? I just got this at um, uh, Lids. I just got yeah. it at Lids. But I always wear it because everyone compliments yeah. it. And I'm like, why not? It says dreams no, it's, into reality. Why not? And right? it's very applicable for what we do. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so again, thank you. And best of luck on all your travels. And hopefully, you, uh, hopefully we'll cross paths soon. Yeah, I'll maybe I'll just come out to your way for a visit. And, you know, have have Fuck air miles. Man. We'll travel. Right? Fuck yeah, man! For sure, you got it. You have a whole. Let's go do a film noir out in your neck of the woods. Yeah, you literally have a whole finished basement for you for your your loving. Yeah, exactly. You're like I can do that. I can totally do that. I'll be. I'll, I'll see you next week, man. Be- yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. All right. Later. So, guys, if you're curious about using borrow lenses, you'll be happy to know all of their gear is tested, calibrated reset, and cleaned after every order. They accept major credit card and most debit cards, and the majority of orders they process do not require a deposit. They love it when their gear gets to travel worldwide, but you have to promise to share some photos when you get back. Remember to visit borrowlenses.com and enter AM10 to redeem your exclusive 10% Angry Millennial discount.